Amen, amen. Thank you, Griffin family. I, I have to say, I, it's so cute that you guys were like trying to back out of that whole get the kids in the back of the truck thing. So before I start the message, I have to show of hands, like seriously, how many of us grew up like doing 50 miles an hour on a dirt road or a freeway in the back of a pickup truck? Like how did, I am not condoning that behavior. I am saying, how did any of us ever survive, right? Like before bicycle helmets and, I mean, it was, it was crazy, but I, I just thought it was something like, you know, they were trying to cut that off. It's all right. We're all people here. You know, we, we trust in the, in the sovereignty of God. That's how we all got here, right? So to that end, um, however, it does say, do not put the Lord your God to a test. So do not get in the back of a pickup truck, kids, that's going 50 miles an hour, all right? Um, let, why don't you um, pray along with me while I pray before we open up God's word and talk about joy. So Father, I do thank you for the truth that you are a sovereign God. I thank you that you are a grand storytelling God and it is a, it is a story of great grace. Lord, I thank you that um, we can gather not just this time of year, but all the time and be connected in the unity of the Spirit that comes to us as one of your many grace gifts. Lord, I want to pray for this morning, not just for this church, but for all the churches around the globe that are proclaiming the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would use the season that we're in, that we would behold the beauty that is Jesus, and that we would rest in knowing that you are a God who orchestrates the events of human history for our good and for your glory. Lord, we thank you in advance for the truth that you will open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law, that you will open our ears, that we would hear a word behind us saying, this is the way. Lord, and most of all, that you would open our hearts, that we would be full of the peace, love, hope, and joy that comes through Jesus Christ. And it's in his beautiful, majestic name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. You know, God's story is an eternal story. Now to him, there is no beginning or end, right? It's recorded in this book, and if you need one of these, raise your hand, and we have somebody who will put it in, put a Bible in your hand. If you don't have one, we'd love for you to keep one. But for him, there's no beginning or end to the story. But from our perspective, it is recorded in five great events. In Genesis 1, he creates, and the most important part of his creation is male and female. He creates us in his image. But it doesn't take long, like as in a chapter or two later in chapter 3, we rebel. That's the second great event in God's story. We rebel, and not only do we rebel, but we hide ourselves from God. For the first time in human history, and from that time forward, we have been about the business of hiding ourselves from Him. Because we don't trust Him. And yet he, from that point on, has been about the business of pursuing us with his loving grace. And so you flash forward through about two-thirds of this book to the Gospels. And like in John chapter 1, where the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that is the third great event in his story, is that God chose to come here and do what only he could do. To come as a Savior. And then we see about 33 years later, the fourth great event in God's story. And that is that word in flesh, the incarnate God on a cross saying, it is finished in John 19 and, and redeeming us through the price of a cross. And then the last story, the last event in God's story has yet to happen. We would looked at it in Revelation, but it's when he will come back, that incarnate God will come back in full glory and power and he will say, 
as he does in Revelation 21, it is done. Christmas is a time that we get to remember that the same God who orchestrated all of the events in human history to bring about the birth of his son at exactly the time that he wanted it to happen. Because we saw that in, the, in our study in Daniel. He rises up and brings down nations. He, he brings ahead rulers in advance that are proclaiming that this is my plan. This is God's plan to restore his relationship back to us through his son, Jesus Christ. That same God who orchestrates all of those events is still in control of everything right now. He did not orchestrate all of that stuff over thousands of years of human history to at this point in history go, I'm done with you people. Jesus did not come this far to say, I don't like you. He came to say, I love you. We just have to grab a hold of that and believe it with everything that we have. Christmas is a time to remember that we are kingdom people meant to live in kingdom power for kingdom glory. Guys, if you get nothing else out of the Advent season, get that. You are meant for more than just this mediocre life. So in this series where we've called Prepare for Arrival, we've looked at how a prepared people are peacemaking, how they are love displaying, how they are hope giving. And the last thing we're going to look at today in this last week of Advent, the last Sunday of Advent, it ends on Tuesday night right here at 430. We will look at a prepared people are joy proclaiming because we know the story. That's how we proclaim joy, because we are people that know the story. So here's the question. Does your life proclaim great joy in Jesus? Does your life, and I'll tell you up front, guys, I'll, I'll be a spoiler alert. I would say at the end of my going through this message, the, my answer to that question is no, not nearly enough. And one of the things I'm praying earnestly for, for me and for us as a people, is that when we walk into this new decade in 2020, that we are a people full of peace, love, hope, and joy. Supernatural peace. Not faking it. Living it. Because he's living in us. I think our passage that we're going to look at today is going to tell us three ways that our lives can be joy proclaiming. So if you would, turn to a well-known passage as Adam was talking about reading the Christmas story. This is certainly, this time of year with his family, this is certainly probably one of the passages they read. It's in Luke chapter 2. Luke is the second, um, it's the third gospel in your New Testament. It's about three quarters of the way through your Bible. Luke chapter 2, and we're gonna, I'm going to start actually in verse 1, and we're going to look at the first way our lives are, we have to look at and see if our lives are joy proclaiming, is are we self or Savior exalting? Are we self or Savior exalting? I'm going to start in, in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken in all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken when Cornelius was the governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register to the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up to Galilee, which was in the northern part of Israel, from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about seven miles from Jerusalem. It says, because he was in, it's in the southern part of Israel, because he was of the house and family of David. So remember that Joseph's family, that they, they're going to Jerusalem because they all had to go back to the place of their family's origin. Joseph's family, or at least some of his extended family, are in Bethlehem. 
So they're on their way to Bethlehem because that's where Joseph is from in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. Now here comes the part we're going to look at. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now before I get to the part that I really want to talk about, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that last part. There was no room for him in the inn. Because I just want to, I, I hope I don't spoil anybody's Christmas celebration, but I just want to let you in a little secret. There was no inn and there was no innkeeper. Right, we have built this whole story up about an innkeeper who doesn't even exist. In fact, even in the Bible, it doesn't say anything about an innkeeper. Right? But even an inn, there were no inns in Bethlehem back then. There were no inns in, in Judea back then. What this really, when I, about two years ago, I was blessed to get to walk through Israel. Twelve men, we, we backpacked through Israel, and when we got to Bethlehem, what we saw, what we, we, since there were just 12 of us and we were all carrying everything we had, we didn't have to worry about a, a tour bus leader or anything else, there was a fence that was sort of, that was sort of it, it didn't look like it was meant to really keep us out, so we jumped it. <laughs> and, and it was really just guarding a bunch of overgrown fields. But what they were is on the left side, what you see are these, we walked down into the side of this hill and there were all of these catacomb looking things, which is where many of the people, especially the people that would not have been wealthy, lived in. Now at the, at the time of Jesus, they, the, the entrances of those caves would have been built out into a structure, but the back of the home, so to speak, would have been the cave itself. Everybody lived in those. What they would do is as, as their kids got older and got married, they would just move into the cave next door. So it was like this catacomb of connected um, caverns, some of which were also inhabited by animals. Because your animals, if you weren't really wealthy, they were your prized possession. If you didn't have, if you didn't have an animal, you didn't eat. You didn't get milk. Right? You didn't maybe have clothing. They were, they were worth a lot of money, so you kept them indoors to protect them from thieves, animals, etc. What's interesting is on the left, on the right side of the picture, is looking out one of those caverns across this valley. That's where the shepherds raised the sheep during the time of Jesus Christ, just south of Jerusalem. They were the sheep that were used to sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. That is the hill that they were raised on. So when the, we're going to see in a minute, the angel comes to the shepherd. That's where it happened. Now here's, here's the point. The inn was probably just a way for them to say, in the extra room of the family's cavernous structure, it was already filled up with other family. By the time Mary and Joseph arrive, there's no place in the family's house for them to be. So the family says you can hang out where the animals are. That's going to become important here in a few minutes. But here's what's true about that and why I take the time to share it. Jesus Christ has always been pushed aside. He's always been neglected. He's always, we just can't make room. I mean, guys, there are people sitting in this room right now who are saying in their hearts, I just don't have room for Jesus. Whether that's unto salvation or that's in their lives and just how they're living. I don't have room for him today. That has been his story from the very beginning. He came knowing it was going to be hard. He came knowing it was going to hurt. Guys, make no mistake that what started in a manger ended at the cross, and Jesus knew it before he came. And he came willingly. 
But most people missed it. Here's the, here's the bummer part about that. And I'm even talking about most people today still miss it. I'm even talking about most of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, we still miss him moment by moment. He is doing 10,000 things all the time in our lives, and I am maybe aware of three of them. And, and so, because we're so busy, but here's, here's the thing about, about walking with Jesus. The beauty of walking with Jesus, the joy of walking with Jesus is walking with Jesus. So what we're going to look at over the, three, the next three Sundays, starting next Sunday and into the first two Sundays of the, of the new decade, is what does it look like to walk with Jesus into this new year and into the new decade? Because it's such a burden on my heart that from, for my own life, I mean, I'm wrestling through these messages myself because we're going to talk about time in the Word and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about what does it look like to pray and to fast. We're going to talk about what does it look like to just love one another and the body of Christ well because that's how we walk with Jesus. But I want to focus on a verse and a half in here, the verses 6 and 7, the first half of verse 7, that describe one of the greatest events, right? Those five events I talked about. This is one of them. The great God becomes flesh. And look at the ink he gives himself. Verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger. That's it. Wait a second. One of the greatest events in the history of the world and it gets a verse and a half in God's book. Why? Why is that? Here's why. Because God has never been interested in, in justifying his existence. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. That's all the pub he gets. It's not here, God, and I'm, and I'm this, and I'm that. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's, he is never interested in going, I'm going to make a big deal about how I came to be. So even as Jesus comes to be in this time, in the flesh, he gives himself a verse and a half. Yeah, he becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us. That's it. That's all there is to it. That's no big deal. Guys, I, I, I think to myself, oh, everything from chapter 3 of Genesis, the second or third page of your Bible, to about where I'm reading right now, is about this event taking place right here. Almost everything in here. There's some of it that is about stuff that's still yet to come in his second coming, but most of it is about this event right here, and we get there, and God is like, eh, it's okay. Why? Because he doesn't have to prove himself to us, right? He is not about, because Christ himself, even God in the flesh, was not about exalting himself. He was about exalting the Father, and when he was forced into exalting himself, he always did it very humbly. Why can't we be like that? Guys, here's the, here's the question I have. If someone were to ask you this, how, why are you a follower of Jesus? You're out trying to interact with people to invite them into the family of God on Tuesday or next, next week as we walk into the new decade or whatever it is. And, and, and they say, okay, but tell me, why do you believe in Jesus? How did you get saved? What, would you start with I or would you start with He. See, I think my conviction is there's way too much me talk in my story. It's his story. And the talk needs to be about him, not about me. So when somebody says to me, Doug, why are you a follower of Christ? I need to start with, because he saved me. 
because he revealed himself to me. Not because I did anything. I don't know that we get, that's why I'm asking the question, are you self or savior exalting? Because we got to get past all the, God doesn't spend a lot of time talking about even God, me talk, in, in how I came to be. He talks about who he is. He talks about why he came. And he talks about what he's done. And our stories need to be that too. When people ask us questions about our faith, it needs to be about here's who God is, here's what he's done, and here's what he's doing in my life. That's what we need to be talking about. So today's question, does your life proclaim great joy in Jesus? First, are we self or savior exalting? Are we, are we or he first in our lives? The second point is, then are we open to interruptions? Are we open to his interruptions? Look at the next few verses, starting in verse 8. It says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and, and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men on whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into the heavens, the, shepherd began, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. God said it, they did it. Are you, are you living that way? Am I living that way? Am I open to being interrupted? Before I flesh that out a little bit, I want to, again, I would be remiss if I didn't point out a few things about this powerful passage that I have taught on before, so I won't spend a lot of time on. When it says here that they were, um, it says um, that, that they were terribly frightened, it means greatly afraid. It means they feared a great fear. Why? Because we saw in Daniel, guys, we saw in Daniel, angels were not these cute little cherubs. They were terrified because this angel, angels are terrifying looking beings to, uh, from our perspective. Even the good ones. We saw that. Every time Daniel, this amazing man of God, saw an angel, what happened? Flat on his face. But it's more than that because it wasn't just the angel, but it was the glory of God arrived. And the glory of God is like the weight of God upon them. These shepherds are out in the field. They're the lowest of the low in the community, et cetera. They're out there watching on a dark night, looking up at the stars, maybe talking to each other, singing songs. Who knows what they're doing? And the glory of the Lord shows up and it reminds them who they are apart from him. It, it reminds them how, how big the gap is between them and him. Guys, it's what, it's what Isaiah sees the glory of God in Isaiah chapter 6. What happens? I am undone. The word actually means annihilated. Peter, early in his walk with Jesus, sees the human, sees the physical aspect of Jesus bringing all these fish into his boat, and he finds himself flat on his face in the boat going, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He has no idea who Jesus is yet. He knows glory when he sees it, though, and it undoes him. And that's what's happening to these shepherds here. But recognize, guys, recognizing the difference between us and God, his glory versus our ick, is what makes the good news so good. 
Because when the angel says, I bring good news of great joy, the word good news there is where we get the word gospel. It is evangelizo in the, in the Greek. It is, it is the word that is translated gospel. He is saying, I am bringing the gospel message to you. Audra read it in, our, in, in, the, candle, in the candle lighting. But it's more than that. When he says, I bring good news of great joy, the word great there is mega. It's the biggest word you can use. It's the, it's the biggest word for big you can use in the Greek. I bring you mega, I bring you the gospel, mega what? Mega joy. That word joy there is the word kara in Greek. Now here's why any of this matters. I'm, we're not here to do a word study in Greek. The word kara is, has at the same root as the word charis. What does the word charis mean, charis? Grace. grace. It means grace. Literally, here's what the angel is saying to the shepherds. I bring you the gospel of mega grace. He's saying, this is God's story of massive grace. And I'm bringing it to you right now. And they are literally undone. And then I love how he says, and born to you this day is a savior. Not just a teacher. Not yet a warrior. Certainly not a Santa. A savior. Why? Because God doesn't send us what we want necessarily. None of them would have said, what I, I'm looking for a savior right now. They didn't even know to look. But he knows that's what we need. And most of us aren't looking for a savior because frankly, we don't think we need saving. Even those of us that are in Christ that are already sealed in him in a, in a moment of decision, in a moment of fear, in a moment, what we don't realize is that what we need in our lives is not our wisdom, but his mega grace in Jesus Christ. But I want to ask a different question. Why does he come? Why does he send the messengers to the shepherds? Now we've heard this taught and I've even taught about it too and I don't think it's wrong to say a part of why he comes to the shepherds is they're the lowliest of the lowly in the community. So he's sending a message and he is. He's saying, I'm, this is for all people, not just the hierarchy, not just the rich people, not just the smart people. Absolutely, that's true. Another thing you hear a lot about with the shepherds, why, why did he come to shepherds is because, well, they had time. Here's what we mean by they had time. They're not as busy as I am. The reason I miss Jesus is because I'm just too busy. I've got too many things going on, but if I was a shepherd and my whole job was to sit out and just sing songs and play on my, on my, on my harp and my flute, then I would have more time to spend with Jesus too. I think that's just an out that we use. I don't think that that's, I think it's much bigger than that. Here's, here's why. After we get done with these three, these three weeks at, at the um, start of the, of the new year, Lord willing, we're going to do a 15-week study through the, or through the book of James, talking about how we get real with our, in our faith. 15 weeks that'll take us into the summer with a little break for, for Easter. But one of my favorite passages in James is James 4, 6, where he says, but he, God, gives a greater grace, a mega grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Guys, the, the reason, it's not just that the shepherds were available, it's that they knew themselves to be nothing. They had no place else to look but up. Right? They weren't so full of themselves that they would miss him when he shows up. And I think I struggle 
in that. So, so we hear like, okay, well, okay, I, I need to make room for God. So we go on vacation, which is not bad. We were just on vacation last week. Praise the Lord. We had a great time. But I'm, ta- I'm not talking about making room for him by like vegging out on the couch and binge watching your favorite baking show on Netflix. I'm not talking about that kind of rest. I'm talking about moment by moment, are we, am I putting enough margin in my day that when he shows up and says, Doug, go, go talk to that person at Starbucks, do I go, okay? Or do I go, yeah, but God, have you seen my my day? If I do that, that's going to be 15 minutes I just don't have, right? The shepherds could have just gone, well, you know what, we really don't have time. But at the end, when, after all this happens, they say, okay, go, let's go check this thing out. They were willing to be interrupted. Guys, the story of God's people in this book is a story of interrupted lives. If you're not ready to have your life interrupted with the gospel, don't join. I mean, seriously. And I'm not saying that flippantly. I know it's, but I'm, I'm being dead serious. Guys, Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, Peter, all of them are stories of lives massively interrupted by the gospel. They were going one way and they had a good life. And God said, no, you're going that way. Praise the Lord. Guys, it's, it's been our story by the grace of God for 15, 16 years. I was in education. We had a good career going. Things were going really well. But long before I went into full-time ministry, God started saying to me, Doug, is this really what you want your life to be about? Are you ready to be interrupted? So I started making decisions in education that I knew were going to hurt my career and our family's financial security and all those other things because I wanted to be about his business. And then he calls us into full-time ministry and we're like, oh no. And then we're like, yeah, but you know what? I'll never plant a church. Guess what he did a year later? Amen. He said, plant a church. We're like, yeah, how about not? But guys, it is, I'm not, I'm not saying that to, to exalt myself. I, I know it sounds like it, but guys, it is what he has done in our lives. But in every one of those steps along the way, we had the opportunity to say, no, we're going to play the safe card. I'm going to take the best bet. I'm going to do what, may, I'm going to do what everybody's telling me, which is they think I'm crazy for walking away from retirement and whatever else it is in order to go do this thing. But it's in those moments, do we look and do we stop and do we say, am I willing to be interrupted by the same God who saved my life? So are we open to his interruptions? Guys, it isn't that they were just, they had nothing better to do. It's that they were open and available. Here's the kind of people God comes to. Isaiah 66, this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. It's in that moment of do I do what I want or do I do what he wants? And guys, it is a wrestle. Because in all those times that I just shared about my life where I said yes to him and no to me, there are probably 10 times more times where he is saying, Doug, go do this. And I say no to God and say yes to what I want. And in every one of those, I lose a piece of the blessing he has in store for me. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord God require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the kind of person God will show up with to this time of year and every time of year. People that are not so full of themselves, they have room for him. Guys, if you're not experiencing the joy of Jesus Christ this time of year, and I'm speaking to me, 
I am talking to me right now. If, if I am struggling to experience the joy of the season and the joy of Jesus Christ, it's probably because I am trying to fill that joy up with me, with what I want, with what I want. And guys, here's the problem with that. I will never fill me with me. The hole in my heart isn't a cross shape. The hole in my heart is eternal. And the only thing that can fill that eternal hole is an eternal Savior. I can't do that. You can't do that. So, does your life proclaim great joy in Jesus? Are you self or Savior exalting? Are you willing to be interrupted by Him? And the last thing is, are you sharing what you've heard and seen? Guys, how do, I mean, by definition, proclaiming joy in Jesus means we have to actually be proclaiming something, right? The angels didn't come and say, we're going to see in a minute. The shepherds didn't go to Bethlehem to see this thing, to go into town and go, right? You have to actually speak. We've seen this but I want to step back for a second before we get to the passage and say, guys, we've seen good news, great joy, right? I mean, just imagine the scene. Imagine the scene we just looked at. Good news, great. But, here, but here, imagine this being the shepherd. They go to Bethlehem. They talk about it. They come back. Nothing in their circumstances has changed. They are still shepherds. They're still poor as dirt. Nothing in their, they're not any, if they were sick, they're probably not, they're not healed. Doesn't say anything about that. The, the, nothing in their physical reality has changed, and yet everything in their perspective has, and that's what makes all the difference. Guys, if you don't get anything else out of this, write this down. Joy is not a physical change that leads to a happy life. Joy is a spiritual change that brings us into the holy presence of God for His intended purpose. That's where joy is. Joy is not, but, but guys, it, this is so hard for us, even as Christians, to believe because we live in a culture that is selling joy everywhere. Just watch the television for a while. You'll find joy in this car. You'll find joy in this food. You'll find joy in this drink. You'll find joy in this house. You'll find joy in these, in this, these people. You'll find joy in the, guys, we're, we are, because it's all circumstance, circumstance, circumstance. You'll find joy in this career. You'll find, guys, that is not joy. That's not biblical joy. What we say to ourselves, what we fool ourselves into believing, this is what I fool myself into believing is, if I would just feel joyful, I would be grateful. Well, here's what I mean by that. It's worse than that. It's worse than that wrong, because that's wrong. If God would just improve my circumstances, I would then be joyful, which would then make me grateful. But guys, joy is not a byproduct of gratefulness. It's the other way around. It is if I am grateful for all God has done, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing in my life. If I'm grateful for those things, I will find joy, regardless of what's going on in my life. You say, how do you know that? I say, because look at, look at the people in Scripture where that's true. They're, Paul and Silas are beaten 
and in prison, and they're singing songs of joy. How is that possible? Because their joy had nothing to do with their circumstance. Guys, and it's not just, okay, but they were biblical characters. Guys, we, we, you know stories. Social media, if it's good for anything, it's good for te- hopefully telling good, positive stories. How many people do you know who have died well? I mean, real, and I really, like, like they had a terminal act, illness, and they didn't lose their joy through it. Because that's a supernatural thing. It's not about their circumstance. They didn't just find joy because they got healed. They didn't get healed and didn't lose their joy. That's Jesus. That is a supernatural thing. That is what we have. but, But in order to do that, we have to rehearse his goodness. One of the things I got out of the summer study that we did where we went through, um, we were going through, um, the Conqueror series, it was called. One of the things that they talked about doing in that study was every morning getting up and rehearsing in your mind five things that you're grateful for from yesterday. Not in your life. So, you know, I'm just from just, just five real things that happened yesterday. So, for me, I got to hang out with my mom for a couple hours. That was one of my things this morning. I'm grateful for that. So are you sharing what you've seen and heard? There are five quick things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly through on purpose um, because I've taught on this before. Here are five things from the passage, from the Word of God, about joy. The first one is, they're going to come up on the screen, joy spurs us to action. It says, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he was laying in the manger. So right, so they, they immediately, God says it, they go. Second thing, joy compels us to share. When they get there, they don't just stay quiet. It compels us to share. They're so excited, they can't stop speaking about that which they've seen and heard, is what Peter tells the Pharisees in Acts. It says, when they heard this, they, when they heard, I said, sorry, in verse 17, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. Thirdly, joy causes us to wonder. Verse 18, And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Guys, if you've never heard Jesse Sign's story, he's not here this morning, but Jesse Sign's story, he got saved in prison. And it was because he walked up to this this giant African-American man who was a cook at the prison that he was, a, he was a helper or something. And the guy was always in a good mood. Always singing and happy and joyful. And he walks up to him and he says, hey, I want what you've got. Thinking it was drugs. Because there's a lot of drugs in prison, actually. And the guy's like, what I got is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And he got saved. That's we need to live our, like, I share this, like, what, what, what the biggest win I see for us as we gather corporately is when we're gathered and someone walks in here and they go, you know what, I've heard the gospel before, but I've never seen the gospel until I saw how these people interact with each other. There's some, whatever you've got, Robert Reed is not here this morning, but one of the things, that, what he said to me, the second or third week he was here, is he walked up to me and he said, Doug, I don't know what you people have, but I want it. And he was baptized a few months later. Joy leads us to treasure grace and ponder the gospel. That's the fourth thing. Look at sweet Mary. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
Guys, when, 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 our, when our hearts have been made alive with the joy of Christ, it's something that we shouldn't just flippantly, like, bow, bow. It, should, it should continue to, and this is the part that I'm praying, Lord, help me, help me in my own life learn how to just live in that joy. Not, not have that joy be, oh man, that was a sweet time with you and the Lord this morning, and then an hour later be a grump. Right? I want to treasure and ponder more. The last thing, joy moves us to sing praises to God. Verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Right? They, they, didn't, they just kept singing and praying. Who, who knows what happened to them? You wonder, 30 years go by before Jesus really comes back on the scene. But the truth is, these shepherds let their life song sing of the joy of Christ. So as the music team comes up and we just tell you, that was really my question to you as we respond in everything from singing to communion to giving to just fellowship afterwards. I, ask, I want to ask you a question. Is your life song singing of the joy of Christ? It's, my, it's, it's so, guys, I, I, I will just tell you, um, I very, I don't use the H word, so I very much dislike this part of me because I am a glass half empty person. And as a follower of Christ, shame on me. Shame on me. What do I have to be, like, like, like what do I have to be sorrowful over when my Savior has sealed my eternity? Because I want so desperately for my life song. to I want, I want everywhere I go for people to say, I don't know what you've got, but I want it. That should be all of our, that should be all of our collective prayer. I, where we're living lives where our soul is radiating joy. And it's not based on circumstance, which is my problem. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. I, I flip those. I try to avoid the pain and I embrace the misery. Because I feel like then I'm really suffering for Jesus. What? That wasn't what Paul did. I considered all loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior and to consider myself worthy of the suffering that is Christ. Because I get that that's not a joyful message, but it is. Well, we can go, man, that's where joy is found. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are. I can be emotionally, physically in pain, but I don't have to be bitter I don't have to let those things steal my joy. I choose to let those things. That's an option. So the question is, are you his? Because if you're not, you can't really experience his joy. And if you are, what's it take for your life to proclaim the joy that is Jesus Christ? Let's pray. So Father, I thank you for that truth. I thank you for the truth that our joy 
in you, as sealed believers in you, is not dependent on our circumstance. Lord, I thank you for the truth that, that our joy is a supernatural joy. Lord, I thank you that, that we don't need to be looking for experiences or what the world is trying to sell to find our joy. Yeah, yeah, we, we can look at, we can, we can sing a beautiful song and we can, we can look at pretty lights and, and, and those things are all good, but only to the, to the extent that they point us back to our Savior who is joy incarnate. You came that we might have a life full of joy abundantly. Why? Because you have a gospel, good news of mega grace. But I want to pray that, that not just today, not just here, not just now, not even just over the next few days, but, but yes, in those times, that we would just experience supernatural peace, love, hope, and joy. In Jesus Christ. That's why you came. Thank you for coming. In Jesus' name, amen.